The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 176. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panel Z! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing something special, an animated special from 2009, featuring the 10th Doctor, called Dreamland. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. I didn't hate it. <laughs> and Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. Uh, howdy, and me neither. <laughs> <laughs> right. That instant review that you get there right at the beginning. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where it's facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. And follow us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. Uh, retweet the things, share them, the episodes, and leave us comments. We'd love to interact with you on social media. So, as I mentioned, Dreamland, it was broadcast in, uh, it was originally online in parts, and then eventually broadcast in November 2009. In the during as part of the 2009 specials, the one-off specials leading up to the Tenth Doctor regeneration, uh, it was originally six mini episodes, and uh, it's the Tenth Doctor who is doesn't have regular companions, but is accompanied by uh, two folks named Cassie and Jimmy. So he, he has one-off special companions. Yep. Yes, exactly. Uh, all right, so it's animated we, as we mentioned. The this is probably the worst part Ish. of. The, Yes. Yeah. It's probably the worst part of this story is the animation. It's really oh, the, anima- the animation is equivalent about, you know, mid 90s video game. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like a mid 90s video game cutscene uh, or like flash animation of the day. If yeah, you it was. I mean, it, it's very clearly very rough 3D uh backgrounds you can see yeah. the fact that they took, you know, a, a rough 3D architecture and then put a more textured uh, skin on it and yeah it looks and awful and and it's not simply because they couldn't do better animation at the time i think actually one of the delimiting factors was the download speeds that were available yes. at the time they had to keep the animation simple so that people's mm-hmm. video experience wouldn't always be freezing up on them so they right. used Buffering. like flash animation <laughs> to communicate it to people online I have in my notes, stiff computer animation, lack of expressiveness in faces hurts acting, mm-hmm. everything feels understated and less emotional, stiff, overdramatic postures, and hurts comedy. Yes. Also, yeah. the, the, every, everyone moves really stiffly and, and either underacts or overacts with their posture. <laughs> There's no subtlety, and yep. it's, uh, it, it just all feels very awkward. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, the fact that this was a six-parter originally. I did not know that going into this. I thought, oh, here's a 45-minute, hour-long animated special. Fine, let's watch it. And, and 
and I start noticing it has this strung together feeling. Yep. Yeah. And I started thinking, I bet this was originally in parts. And I looked it up while I was watching it. Sure enough, this was originally six yeah. parts. So it doesn't feel like a cohesive story. And you could tell. Every about seven to eight minutes, there's a cliffhanger. Yes. You could tell there are these moments where it's like a commercial break or a cliffhanger sort of thing. Well, what's funny is, is it remind you know, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but when I watched Classic Who as a kid, they did it in the movie format where they took, you know, the four part, six part, eight, ten, or however long serial and smashed it all into one long movie. Yeah. And that's exactly what this felt like, where you'd watch, you know, the 25 minutes and then there would be where you could tell a cliffhanger had been. But then, of yeah. course, they cut it. So then it continued on to the next scene. That's true. And that's, that's this true. is exactly what it felt like when I was a kid watching Classic Who, because you'd come to this cliffhanger it was clear. OK, this is where it cut. And now yep. we're on to the next scene. Right. Yeah, but when you have that happen every 22 minutes, it's a very different experience than exactly. have, ha- have it happening multiple every six seven times minutes. in 45 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every six, seven minutes. Yeah. One thing to mention, you talked about uh, about Cassie, you know, played by Georgia Moffat, also known as yeah. Mrs. David Tennant. And These days. the daughter of Peter Davison. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, and Jenny, the doctor's daughter. Jenny. Hi, yep. Dad. So- as they were filming this, she had already played Jenny and was now, at this point, dating David Tennant in real life. Uh, so as they were filming this or recording this, mm-hmm. <laughs> filming, and they would eventually be married in 2011. So that would be a couple years after this. So just to, yep. to kind of place it in the context of these two people and how they knew each other. Uh, yeah. Also, a guest starring is a great actor, a great uh, who's been in many genre films. David Warner plays yes. Lord Aslock, the, the best sounding bug alien ever on Doctor Who, uh, who has, you'll, you'll know him from things like Tron and other famous roles, who also once played the Doctor in Big Finish. Mm-hmm. He was the Doctor mm-hmm. Unbound, apparently. In so. one of the Unbound stories, yeah. So, uh, very interesting connection. So this story, being called Dreamland, it's going to involve Area 51, Dreamland being yes. one of the nicknames for Area 51. Yep. It also ties into the Roswell mythos so it's we we see some stuff from roswell in mid-june of 1947 so that's our general time frame is you know post-war mid-20th century and the doctor shows up at a diner and anytime the doctor shows up at a at a diner i want to know is it going to turn into a tardis But (laughs) but this one doesn't and in the diner the doctor meets Jimmy Stalking Wolf, who's a Native American kind of Fonzie-like biker guy, I guess. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. also the waitress, Cassie Rice, who is played by by Georgina Moffat. And even though in real life, Georgina Moffat was romantically interested in David Tennant, in this, Cassie Rice is romantically interested in Jimmy Stalking Wolf. Yes. Yes, she's not the love interest for the doctor. Uh, So, yeah, it begins with uh, alien ship crashing in Roswell in 1947. Then the the doctor goes to the diner 11 years later, not right. in Roswell, New Mexico, but in Dry Springs, Nevada, which is apparently near Dream Dreamland, Area 51, Groom Lake, etc. Yep. Uh, so so they meet, and the doctor sees an alien. He's there to get some chili, uh, apparently, and but then he sees an alien artifact on the counter and activates it, uh, which then brings some men in black who want it. Hmm. They they show up and want it. Uh, Tim Cook 
comes in. Sorry, he looks like Apple CEO Tim Cook, the, uh, the man in black. Uh, he comes in and demands they hand over the the what he calls an ionic fusion bar, uh, but they end up running out the back door. Jimmy calls him calls the doctor Doc, and he he has to correct him. No, it's Doctor. Uh, and I like how just like Ace keep, kept calling him the professor, Jimmy keeps calling him Doc. Yep. Like, yes. He does sorry, care. that's your name to me. <laughs> Uh, and Jimmy reveals that uh, this is going to get confusing if I go. I'm going to the Jimmy the character reveals that a, a monster has been eating cattle at the, this ranch. So they go to check it out, and they find uh, what the doctor identifies as a Viperox battle drone, uh, mm-hmm. which, when it shoots at them, an army helicopter shows up and blasts it with a missile. Conveniently, good yep. timing. Uh, and then these the helicopter lands. It's a it's a Huey. So this where this is early sixties. Uh, the no, it's soldiers... 1958, actually. 58, uh, yep. yeah. That might be a little early for Huey's then. But anyway, the helicopter lands and the uh, soldiers take them into custody and uh, to take them to Groom Lake, a.k.a. Dreamland, a.k.a. Area 51. I, 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 do, I do have a rant here, though. This, I'm offended. <laughs> I, <do too. laughs> I am a veteran of the United States Air Force. Groom Lake was never Groom Lake Army Air Base. Yes. First of all, it was yeah. it was purchased by the Air Force after the Air Force was founded. It has always been Groom Groom Lake Air Force Base. Right. Do not call they, it Army. That that's an offense to yeah. all of us who served in the Air Force. <laughs> also, historically inaccurate. Uh, Jimmy Stalking Wolf is aware of rumors connected with it and aliens and stuff, and it's like, no, this is way too early for that. They, there yeah. were no such rumors in 1958. It, the, right. the base, it only existed about three years at that point, so yeah. people really yeah. wouldn't know much base. about it yet. Yeah, yeah. And Also, uh, we do have uh, some other appearances of Area 51 in the Hooniverse. Uh, in the 11th Doctor's time, he's kept there in Day of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And also in the Sarah Jane adventure, prisoner of the Jadoon, not fugitive of the Jadoon, but prisoner of yep. the Jadoon goes mm. to Area 51, or has it mentioned anyway. Okay. Uh, so when they're in custody, uh, waiting for whatever at Area 51, uh, Cassie worries that the Reds are going to nuke them before they are able to develop flying cars. And the doctor at first thinks she's talking about Manchester United, the football team, which <laughs> I thought Reds, was fun. I guess. The Reds. Yeah, they wear, they wear red jerseys. Uh, and then the 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 uh, main human villain in this at the first anyway uh, sort of villain, Colonel Stark has them uh, taken to a lab for a mind wipe, uh, where Cassie says like you can't do that because we're U.S. citizens, and Jimmy says they're the U.S. Army. They've been doing whatever they want since the Bear River Massacre. Right. Which actually yes. I, I learned I learned a little bit more Western history. I'd never heard of this one, but it actually was a massacre just yep. over the Idaho border from Montana. So it, it's it's one of the first tribal massacres. You know, the, the big one that right. especially people around here know well is um, Custer's Last Stand or the, the Battle of Little, Little Bighorn, Bighorn, which was yeah. kind of a reverse um, massacre. Yeah. yeah. So, it, but it, it's, you know, it, it's, but there's a lot of those, you know, I also, about 70 miles from here is uh, Chief Joseph's Last Stand, where he surrendered, right. is just south, just south of the town of Chinook from here. So, it's kind of interesting. Like I said, I hadn't heard of this particular one, but that's that's something that kind of resonates again with my area because a lot of that happened in this area. I was kind of curious why they chose the Bear River Massacre as, as opposed to something more well known like Wounded Knee or the Trail of Tears. Well, like this, again, Bear River is kind of a, <laughs> a, a, a an odd choice here. I, I, again, I, have... I think this was the the first one, the first major one, even if it's not as well known 
It has okay. like Trail of Tears or Wounded Knee or Custer's Last Stand or something like that. Also, Trail of Tears is not going to be associated with the army in the same way since it wasn't a battle. Right. right. That's true. It was, that's a, true. It was a forced migration. Uh, okay. So uh, oh, that, that's interesting. Uh, so Colonel Stark at this point doesn't seem at all curious why the doctor seems to know so much about the Viperox, by the way. Uh, Cassie threatens to tell the president like she's going to call him on the phone. Sure. I, I like the kind of naive, you know, <laughs> naivete about this. It's, yeah. it's refreshing. On yeah, the yes. other hand, and it's kind of nostalgic, you know, um, on the other hand, I kind of wonder because this is a British production and I see a lot of British productions that when they deal with Cold War issues, they they make Americans, you know, Americans are talking about the Reds and the commies and stuff like that. And right. And I don't know if they use that language in in uh, in the UK at the time. But uh, I my impression is folks in Europe were just as scared, if not more so, of the Soviet yeah. Union, yeah. because if anything started happening, it was going to be, I mean, their front lawn was going to be the battlefield. <laughs> right. and, exactly. And so I don't, I kind of wonder about this American, you know, antipathy towards the Reds, the commies. It's like, yeah, I think there was probably some of that over in Britain, too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so typical bad guy, bad planning here. Uh, we see uh, it seems like a bad idea to have the controls for the mind wipe gas to be inside the room uh, yes. with them. Yeah, uh, major design flaw. Yeah, you have to turn <laughs> it on and then run out of the room really quick. Uh, also, um, it's a very big room. Maybe a smaller room would make the gas work faster. Just suggestions yeah. here on my part. Just wouldn't have that. as much time to get out. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's the size of like half a gymnasium, basically. I mean, <laughs> yes. this this place is huge. Yeah. But the doctor escapes, of course, and uh, and he or no one no one monitors them as they're being gassed too. That's there's no window to monitor them. Uh, turning off the dial uh, for the gas seems to suck all the gas out of the room immediately, which is handy. Uh, when they escape, when they ask how they're going to escape, they ask the doctor. He says he loves 1958 because no one has seen Die Hard or Alien or any of the sequels. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to use the vents. <laughs> yeah, we're going to crawl through the vents. <laughs> which is which are always big enough for people to crawl through. Uh, so when, the, when they get out of the vent and they, they're in the hallway, the, an alarm goes off while they're escaping, so they sneak into a lab where they discover there's one of the uh, famous uh, greys, the alien greys from Roswell, is inside a cell. Uh, and uh, there's also, meanwhile, a convenient elevator to the surface because uh, they're underground in that lab. So there's a, it's very convenient to have an elevator right next to your very top-secret alien uh, prisoner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a good idea, but... Well, you know, yeah, okay. some way to get the top-secret alien down there. Yes, this is true. This is true. Uh, so this is when we discover that St Colonel Stark is actually in cahoots with the Viper Ox. Lord Aslock is in his office, and and uh, Stark... Uh, see, the, well, Vi the Viper Ox, Aslock, threatens Stark. It's, fail me and your world will pay the price, as usual, uh, which is uh, interesting. Uh, we, we get a hint at there's something going on here. Um, and uh, the Doctor and the others end up in a hangar where they find the original alien ship, presumably belonging to that gray that's in the in the cell. Uh, they rush on board while the soldiers stand around and look, watch them do it, and then take off in it. And uh, uh, the Doctor manages to fly it after a fashion. Badly. And then they get shot down. Yes, yep. some uh, Knights F-100s. <laughs> yes. The, upside, the outside the ghost town of 
Solitude, because you know you're gonna if you're gonna name your old west town, you're gonna call it something like Solitude or Mercy. And <laughs> yeah, ex- oh. Well, if you name it Solitude, you're kind of asking to become a ghost town. It's, it's, <laughs> this is I mean, true. if you if you don't want to, your town to go out of business, you want to give it a name like the hot spot or where everybody comes or something that's going to draw people in. <laughs> or Greenland, you know? like <laughs> Greenland. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, let's see, then a, uh, so while they're in there, they're looking around. Doctor finds a uh, lamp that's over 100 years old that apparently still works. And Jimmy wanders off into the back room where there's a giant hole and he gets grabbed by a Viperox drone and dragged down into the tunnel. And so the Doctor and Cassie have to follow. Uh, they end up- there's a Viprox queen down there. Yes, they find Lord Aslock, and they also find uh, um, uh, the Horde, the, the, the Viprox Horde. The Doctor gets Aslock to admit they're not there to invade Earth, but to find their enemy, which will turn out to be the Grey. Uh, Cassie <laughs> throws the lantern at them and starts a fire, and the doc- Doctor's like, what'd you do that for? I was just getting to the good part. Uh, people <laughs> keep interrupting him when he's trying to get information. And that's where they end up finding the uh, a bunch of Viperox eggs and the queen, and then something comes out of the egg and lands on the face and pump. No, 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 that's a different alien. That's alien. A, that's alien. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I got myself confused. Uh, but they, we, we find no, out that the yeah. doctor has bad rep- bad uh, bad reaction from royals. Royals don't like being him around. Don't like him around. Yes, queens particularly do not like having the, the doctor around. So they run down a, a tunnel. Well, this is true. Yep. They uh, they run down a tunnel, find an old mine, and of course, if you have an old mine, there's going to be a mine car, and you're going to get in it, and you're going to go for a wild mine car Thank, ride. Thanks, That's Indiana just- Jones. <laughs> yes. Uh, interesting use of the sonic screwdriver I haven't seen before. He manages to sonic bolts out of a roof support. They sort of float magnetically out of it or something. Very interesting. Um, and that ends up collapsing the tunnel on the, the Viperox so they can escape. But at the end of the line, so to speak, they find the uh, men in black, including uh, Tim Cook, who we are called. We we now find out is called Mister Dread, which I, I, I have to give the doctor credit. He or in the writers that they actually call attention to how kind of a silly a name that is, Mister Dread. It's like over the top, uh, dramatic name. Uh, it turns out the uh, the men in black are from something called the Alliance of Shades. Is this unique to this story? Do we ever hear about them anywhere else? I believe it's unique to this story, and they're also robots. Yes, yes. And they're robots with a mission. They're like here to cover up stuff on planets that aren't ready for alien contact, sort of. Who are apparently doing a really bad job. Yes. Especially given the whole history of Doctor Who. (laughs) I I, I almost wish they would have done more like, you know, Shadow Proclamation or something like that, just to give it like an actual connection, you know. Which which we've heard of at this point. I mean, Shadow Proclamation is from a couple seasons before this. They they also, the doctor kind of hangs a lantern on the fact that they're not doing real great because he drops a hint that, like, by the 1970s, you guys are totally defunct. <laughs> right. They get they just give up. <laughs> uh, so, and just as the doctor's about to figure out, again, figure out what's going on with them, uh, Jimmy's grandpa shows up and disables the robots with one arrow each writing to the CPU, uh, and meaning that he's seen these guys before and knows how to kill them, apparently. Uh, so, uh, Grandpa Night Eagle takes them to see a different Grey, who is the companion to the one that's a prisoner, who tells the tale that the other Grey is his wife, and she was an ambassador building an alliance against the Viperox, and was shot down over Earth to prevent that alliance, and so the Viperox slaughtered their people, and he came looking for her. Yeah, now, when the 
so when we first meet Night Eagle, he explains that we came here. So this is the reason they came in and rescued them from the Men in Black. They mm -hmm. came here because they saw the disc that the Doctor was flying fall from the sky, and they thought more had come. Right. And the mm. Doctor says, more of who? And I'm like, I'm sorry, more of whom? This is... <laughs> this is this is the objective case. We almost <laughs> never have cases in English, but for 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 pronouns, we have a subjective case and an objective case, and this is the objective case, more of whom, Doctor Whom, okay? <laughs> <laughs> more of, I guess they were, if you think, I didn't think about it at the time, but maybe they were kind of trying to make a pun, more of who. He is Doc Doctor Who. It might have been. <laughs> I I think you're giving him too much credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they they shouldn't have gone with bad grammar to do it. Uh, so and, and we, I'm not normally a grammar Nazi, but we almost never get to use cases in English. Yes, so use it when we can. Yeah. So Colonel Stark shows up, takes them all prisoner, takes them back to the base, where Lord Aslock reveals that Rivesh, the the gray, uh, the 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 one who was just captured is a genetic scientist who developed a weapon that's targeted to kill all the Viperox based on their DNA. Like, it targets Viperox only. And the doctor They've says even... this huge war. Yes. Uh, Dark says even that is very bad because who's to say the Viperox won't discover a better way to live when that becomes a bit of a theme for the rest of the episode. Um, so Stark's goal, is, the reason he's working with Aslock, is once they take the weapon from uh, the Rivesh the Grey, uh, not to be confused with Gandalf the Grey, uh, they they will modify it to target the Soviets. I'm not sure what makes the Soviets uniquely different for, genetically from everyone else in the world, but Vodka. It, would, it, it, <laughs> it would it would be doable, but it would involve complex genetics they didn't have in 1958. Okay, maybe the Viperx were going to help with that. Yeah. So. Uh, it turns out, uh, meanwhile... Well, speaking of genetics, yes. we have a serious glaring problem that's totally obvious in this animated video and that we need to talk about. Okay. And that is the issue of representation. Okay. Because the actor playing Jimmy Stalking Wolf, who is a Native American, mm -hmm. is not a Native American. They should have got a British Native American to play him. <laughs> Instead, they got a white actor. So we have whitewashing going on here. Then yeah. his grandpa, Night Eagle, who is also Native American, is also yeah. not played by a British Native American. He's played by a black man. So we have blackwashing going on here. Oh, and wow. neither of the actors playing the greys are actually gray. <laughs> and they're not aliens either. <laughs> Well, if we'd gotten some colonial silver ahead of time, we could have taken care of that with some Argeria. <laughs> <laughs> That's an episode of uh, the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World from April first. Go check it out. So, uh, so the uh, the doctor. So turns out, uh, by the way, the Mister Dread, the Men in Black, shows up again, and it turns out he's been reprogrammed by Aslock to seek out what he called the Ionic Fusion Bar, which turns out is really Rivesh's weapon. Uh, so that's that's why. Uh, the doctor realizes these Alliance of Shades robots have been doing a really bad job of of seeking out alien technology. Somehow the doctor somehow the doctor manages to grab the weapon and run away with it before anyone can shoot him. Everyone in in this are not, not only do they have bad reaction time, they're bad shots too. I mean, this is really bad. Um, and I have to point out at the here, Colonel Stark is a caricature 
of the worst characters in Doctor Strangelove. This is like the yes. like the the worst like like homage to Doctor Strangelove. He's so like a combination of several really bad characters in it with with the the, the with the, his anti-Soviet mania and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's, the George C. Out. Scott character. Yes, yes. Buck Turgidson. <laughs> Buck, that's right. <laughs> the The doctor says uh, once the weapon is reprogrammed, he, like Aslox is really going to unleash his army on the Earth, but Stark won't believe him, uh, but finally convinces him. And so when Aslox shows up, he has heard, because the Viperx have really good hearing, uh, he kills Rivesh, apparently, and runs off. Because without Rivesh, they can't activate the Viperox weapon. Mm. But Rivex isn't dead. He's only mostly dead. Uh, so <laughs> they, he has something to live for. Uh, so they, they, But they can't take him to his ship to heal him because it's in the vault and something got loose in the vault, we were told. Uh, so the doctor is now... This is interesting. The, ho- the doctor's now hot on using the weapon to wipe out the vi- Viperox. Now he wants to... Use the weapon. Go ahead, Jimmy. Or at least he's threatening to. Um, yeah. One of the things I have in my notes, you just used the word interesting, and yeah. I have in my notes that here, which is corresponds to episode four of the six, it's starting to get interesting. So, <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah, it is actually, there's a lot going on here, and it does start to get interesting. And by the way, uh, the, is it the vault or is it Warehouse 13? <laughs> That's what hmm. I was thinking. <laughs> I was actually wondering if we were going to st- see like a box labeled, you know, Ark of the Covenant somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's well. the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a big vault, which means there's, there's apparently a lot of alien tech down there. Uh, and, and the doctor's in there with the other gray, I forget what, uh, Sarubavella, that's what her name is. Uh, meanwhile, he sends Jimmy and Cassie to go get the TARDIS. But while they're in town, the Viperox drones are emerging from the ground and start destroying everything, including the town. Also, Ca- Cassie kisses Jimmy. Yes, Cassie kisses Jimmy. So we get the the love uh, theme going here. Uh, so what we find is that what's loose in the vault is a swarm of Scorpius flies that form a collective brain and wants to eat the Doctor and Saruba Velba. Saruba Vela, yeah, not Velba. <laughs> and, and the Doctor and Saruba walk out like snails with a box over their head. Uh, and the Doctor says, "Oh, it's easy to find our way out. It's eighty-seven steps this way and fifty-seven that way." You always count your steps, so you all just in case you need to walk out blindfolded. It's good advice, frankly. Good, good to know. That. I wonder how many people have ever done that. Ever? Yes, the I, doctor I've started doing one. Yeah, I've started doing that myself. Um, he, there's a good uh, pun here. Some men are born great; others have crates thrust upon them. That's a good dad yep. joke there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, they can't get into the base the normal way, of course. So that's why the doctor sent Cassie and uh, Jimmy to go get the TARDIS. They're going to fly the TARDIS in. Uh, the Doctor then prevents them from wiping out every Viperox in the universe because he says they'll eventually become peace-loving people, you know, over the centuries, and so and they have an important role in 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 the in the universe. Uh, instead, they activate the weapon. He plugs it into the TARDIS, and it makes a loud noise to make them run away in their ship. They yeah. need a, the they need the weapon to make a loud noise. <laughs> Not sure what the point of the well, weapon the was. The weapon then. is tuned to their DNA, and so it irritates their central nervous system so badly that they just have to run away. And of course, the TARDIS has a killer sound system, so you know yeah, of course. that helps too. Yes, yes. Uh, I have in my notes interesting bio tardigrade ship. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Doctor then leaves the the weapon with Colonel Stark, but tweaked. 
so that it it keeps the Viprox at least a light year away from Earth, so they can't back can come back and uh, uh, enact their revenge, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's about where we end things. So that's that's the episode. What, what do you guys think of the like Dreamland? A couple couple small things. Um, in uh-huh. 1947, when they show the ship crash, it shows the sign to Roswell for I-25. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of things. First of all, the interstate system didn't exist until Eisenhower signed it into <laughs> effect in 1955. Secondly, I-25 runs about 100 miles west of Roswell. So yes. <laughs> little bit, little, this is this is obviously Brits went. Whoever's writing this went, oh, I-20, Interstate 25, that goes through western United States, somewhere near Roswell. That's close enough. Um, <laughs> Actually, if you're going to make up a highway going through somewhere in middle America, it should always be Route 66, whether Route 66 exactly. was anywhere near there or not. I think it actually was fairly close, but not exact, but closer than I-25 anyways. Uh, secondly, there's a great line when they, they're going down, uh, going in, into Groom Lake, into Dreamland, about Colonel Stark, you know, where are they taking us? Well, I doubt he has a, a penthouse apartment. I wonder if that's a reference to Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. I know. Um, I kept having Iron Man flit through my brain every um, time we have <laughs> Colonel Stark referenced. I, yeah. I, I ranted about, you know, calling it Groom, Groom Lake Army Air Base, but I will give them credit. They drew, they drew the F-100 fighter, which would have been the state-of-the-art yep. fighter at the time, very well. That was re- actually really nicely done. I was kind of impressed very by nice. that. Yep. And then Saruba Velik, Jimmy, did her voice sound familiar? I don't remember at the moment. I may what what who who was she? She was she was voiced by Lisa Bowerman, who played mm. Kara on Survival, the cat warrior that tried to convert Ace and then eventually gave her life to protect Ace in Survival oh, okay. in that last episode of Survival. And it, oh, the voice was I it was the same digital of course, probably how they produced it was different because we're talking thirty years difference, twenty twenty years difference. Twenty years, yeah. Twenty years difference, but it was the same effect. So it sounded almost identical. Oh, hmm. interesting. I hadn't noticed that. That's cool. I, I, I liked the fact that the Viperox eyes would squeak. They had this yes. little squeak noise that their eyes would make. <laughs> um, also, they had both human teeth and mandibles, which is just creepy. Yep. If it has yeah. both human teeth and mandibles, it's like, that's messed <laughs> up. Uh, Georgina's <laughs> accent, American accent, was pretty good. Yeah. And so I want to give credit. I mean, we often pick on accents, Perpigillium Brown, but this was a good one. <laughs> At the end, the doctor's like going back to the Ming Dynasty to get dim sum. I just like that. Yeah. And he, I mean, he came here for chili. So, you know, and, and I like that. It's like, I, I need chili made before a certain date because it tastes better. That <laughs> <laughs> you can only get at a roadside greasy spoon. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then I and the doctor at the end uh, encourages the companion romance, uh, and yeah. it ends with them holding hands, which is nice. So I like I like that. So I did not yeah. hate it. I also right. did not love it. Yes, especially the first three quarters or first two thirds of it. It had a especially early on. It had a very definite um, Saturday morning Justice League feel to to some mm-hmm. of it. You know, oh, the, oh, not the new Justice League is way better than that. No, I mean, no, no. When I was a kid. <laughs> super, super friends is what you mean. Super friends. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It had a bit of a super friends feel to that. But you're right. I mean, once once I got over the, the bad animation, it was it, the second half had a pretty interesting Doctor Who story. And it had different levels and different, you know, pe- was- people were were not just flat cardboard characters. Stark <laughs> had good and bad. He, became, he was a bad guy that became a. Not a bad guy. 
maybe yeah. not a good guy, but not a bad guy. Well, so, and by that by that point, it had really come together. A lot of what's happening yeah. in the first half is just moving from one place to another. It's a series of strung together bits rather than a yeah. cohesive story. Yes. Yeah. So by yeah by the end, it was a much much better story. Uh, so yeah, it was. I mean, for for a you know an animated web based cartoon, it was not bad, not bad. I it was, mean, it's it a fake phrase, but yeah, yeah. So and then after this point, what happens in in the Dark Universe is after this is is the the very next thing that gets aired is the two part uh, regeneration special, which we've already talked about. So you can you can uh, check out what we had to say about that, and uh, and and that's it, and that's the end of the David Tennant era. So. Apart from the regeneration, this is the last David Tennant production of you know as the tenth Doctor uh, in the in the Russell T Davies era. This, I, I, there, there's always asterisks on everything in Doctor Who, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but let's just let's stick with that. So uh, if we're done with that, we do have a little bit of listener feedback on Yay. our recent episode. On actually, maybe not so recent, the the uh, episode one seventy, the next Doctor, where mm. it was the Christmas special. Kathleen Ross sent us an email. She said uh, this was in reference to we were talking about uh, the villainess of that episode who showed up at the funeral uh, and then the brought along the Cybermen. Right. Right. She says, hey, guys, you should Google 18th and 19th century funeral customs and practices regarding women. Turns out that not having women take part in the funeral processions and graveside services was a real thing. The show hmm. got it right. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my 21st century egalitarianism tripped me up on that. And, yeah. I, and I wonder if that was certain cultures, as is in like, you know, Great Britain and maybe even the United right. States or in Canada, something like that, or if it was just something that was just kind of a British thing. Right. That would be something interesting to look at. But uh, yeah, out in the Old West, maybe the women went to the funerals. I don't know. Or maybe yeah. not. I'd have to, I'd have to yeah. check. It's an empirical question. Sometimes yeah. I get tripped up by stuff like that. Uh, years ago, this was before I was a caller, when I was just a square dancer. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I went into a dance, and there was a local caller calling it, and she was saying, she in a break, she was commenting to me about, and I don't remember how she said it, but it was like, notice anything different about me? And it's like, no. <laughs> And she was, she was, she was, and I, I was just meeting her for the first time. I didn't know what she was referring to. It turned out she was, she was remarking on the fact she was a woman. And apparently at one stage of square dance calling, square dance callers were overwhelmingly men. And so it was a bit unusual when she, she was an older woman. And so when she yeah. was starting out as a caller, it was very unusual for there to be a woman caller. And this was significant to her. But to me, it was like, okay, you're a woman. Great. <laughs> you know, let's call. Uh, <laughs> as a married man, uh, whenever I hear, did you notice anything different about me today? Uh, you know, that's <laughs> oh. that's where my internal warning, yeah. Will Robinson, back to the ship. Because <laughs> I, I saw the, the, the sweat pouring off your brow as soon as Jimmy said that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, flashbacks. <laughs> All right. I think that about does it for today. Uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including. Uh, Jeremy, Wendy, Bradley, Cynthia, and Melanie. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. 
And that's it from us. What did you think of Dreamland? Did you get a chance to watch it? Let us know what you thought by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or by sending an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the first Doctor story, The Dalek Invasion of Earth. Ooh, fun. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Oh, poor Susan. <laughs> A preview for next week. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, take me to your leader. Allons-y. Right. This is going to be fun.